John chapter 21, beginning at verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. May God bless the preaching of his word. In the hours leading up to the death of Jesus, he suffered physically, emotionally, spiritually, and relationally. It was none other than one of his disciples that led a band of soldiers into the Garden of Gethsemane and turned him over to be crucified. And it was none other than one of his closest, even among the twelve, one of the closest of his disciples that claimed not to be associated with Jesus one bit while Jesus was going to trial. This disciple claimed he did not even know Jesus. I believe many of us are familiar with this disciple and his denial, the disciple Peter. Here's how the Gospel of John puts the denial of Jesus by Peter. We get it in John chapter 18. If you just keep your finger here in John 21 and just flip a few chapters back, I, I want to really set the context for us because it will be important that we just remember this or maybe this is the first time you're hearing it. John chapter 18, and I want to read verses 15 through 18, and then we'll skip to verse, verses 25 through 27. And we find the denial of Jesus by Peter. John chapter 18, and I'll start at verse 15. It reads, Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl, who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. Now skip down to verse, verses 25 through 27, and it continues. We get the second and third times Peter denies Jesus. It says in verse 25, Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. So we have the account from the Gospel of John of, of Peter's denial, and we actually have this account in all uh, four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, and actually the other three uh, accounts, I'm not going to read them 
But in the other three accounts, at the very end, after Peter is denied Jesus, Peter goes into an agonizing grief for what he had just done in denying Jesus. Matthew and Luke describe Peter as weeping bitterly after he denied Jesus, showing that Peter understood what he had just done. He was convicted and he felt awful about it. So Peter had denied Jesus. This word denied that's used in these passages speaks of claiming no association with someone, to refuse to have anything to do with, to, to really disown, to disown someone. That is what Peter had done to Jesus in the hours leading up to Jesus' death. The baffling thing, though, as we go throughout the scriptures, as we move through the gospel accounts, the baffling thing is just a little less than two months later, on Pentecost, we have this account in the book of Acts that Peter stands up and he preaches a sermon to three, and 3,000 people are saved. So probably more than 3,000 people were, were present when Peter stood up, associated with, and further proclaimed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So we got the denial of Jesus. And a little less than two months later, we have him proclaiming the name of Jesus. We could ask the question, what happened to this scared and wavering disciple? What took place in the life of Peter to cause him to no longer deny Jesus, but to associate with him and actually publicly get up and proclaim Jesus to others? We're considering the passage this morning that takes place between these two events and I would say, transforms Peter into the person he is in the book of Acts. So obviously, we're taking a pause from Pastor Reed's series on 2 Kings, and we're just doing a one-off message looking at John 21, 15 through 19, as Pastor Herb read for us. And what we find in this passage is we find that these verses, John 21, 15 through 19, very much so link back to Peter's denial of Jesus. Jesus intentionally addresses Peter in such a way as we find in our passage that would cause him to remember his denial, but also at the same time restore him to serving him. So our theme for this morning as we consider John 21, 15 through 19 is this. Jesus' words recall Peter's denial, causing him to remember it, but also bringing restoration to him. Again, our theme for this morning is Jesus' words recall Peter's denial, causing him to remember it, but also bringing restoration to him. So we're going to break our passage, these uh, verses 15 through 19, down into three sections. In each, Jesus is clearly calling Peter to serve him once again, but at the same time, all three link back to cause Peter to remember his denial, remember what he had done uh, and sinned against Christ. And just as a heads up, as we think about these three sections, uh, I'll warn you that the first is a bit longer than the second and the third, just as you're following along. So for our first section, we'll consider the first three verses of our passage, and we find Jesus' questioning of Peter. And this comes from John 21, 15 through 17. And just leading into these verses, just to give us a brief background, um, we don't have time to read these verses, but Peter and some of the, the disciples, after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus has died on the cross, he's been resurrected, Jesus, uh, Peter and some of the disciples, uh, they actually go fishing. Okay? And while going fishing, they meet Jesus, and they actually get to have breakfast with Jesus. They sit around a charcoal fire together, and they eat breakfast. And this is where 
our passage takes place. While they're eating breakfast, they finish breakfast, and they're sitting around this fire, and our passage takes place as Jesus speaks directly to Peter. And as we consider verses 15 through 17 in, in Jesus' questioning of, of Peter, we'll consider first the questions of Jesus, then the response of Peter, and then third, the responsibility given by Jesus. So first, the questions of Jesus. And as we think about these questions, I want us first to consider the fact that Jesus asks a similar question three times. So if you look with me at verses 15 through 17, I want, us, I want to read through them and just notice Jesus's question, how similar they are all three times. So starting at verse 15, it says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time. So the third question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. So hopefully you notice there's three questions asked, and, and they are... Um, Two of them are exactly the same, and, and I'd say um, the third one is, is very uh, similar. And you probably uh, notice as we were reading them, and if you were comparing them, the first one is slightly different, as it tacks on that phrase in the first one, more than these. Okay, we'll consider that in a few moments. But for now, I want to stress that we have the same thing being asked three times. Our passage makes it clear. In verse 16, it says, he said to him a second time. And then in verse 17, it says, he said to him the third time. We should ask the question, why is this question repeated three times? Is it just for emphasis, to drive a point home? Or is it to make sure of something? Is, is Jesus trying to make sure of something with Peter? And these possibilities might be what comes to mind, but Jesus asks if Peter loves him three times because Peter denied Jesus three times. This is the reason Jesus asked this no more and no less than three times. Peter denied Jesus three times, and now Jesus intentionally asks Peter, do you love me three times? Now I want us to consider the main thing Jesus is asking in all three of these questions to Peter. As I said, we'll kind of get to the difference in the first question, but I want us to consider these three questions and, and what they boil down to. What is Jesus actually asking when he asks these three questions? In all three, Jesus is asking Peter if he loves him. And as we consider what Jesus is asking Peter by asking him if he loves him, I think it's helpful to contrast what we've already read, what we've already seen about Peter, and what he had done when he denied Jesus. So what had Peter done? Or what did Peter do? When he denied Jesus. I gave us the definition of denial in the beginning. It's, it's, it speaks of claiming no association with someone, to refuse to have anything to do with, to disown. So Peter had been claiming not to be a disciple. By denying Jesus, he had been claiming that he had no relationship with Jesus. By denying Jesus, he had been claiming that he did not know Jesus. So now when Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? 
One of the things he is seeking to show Peter is that if he truly loves him and has a relationship with him, he will associate with him. He will claim allegiance to Jesus. He will be willing for people to know that they have a relationship. When Jesus uses the word love, he actually uses two different words in this passage um, for the word, or that's translated all three times as the word love. And these words are very similar to each other, and uh, at one time, people thought there was kind of a a difference in these words. There's a reason that Jesus used a, a second word, but many scholars today believe Jesus was seeking um was not making, seeking to make a point by switching words mid-conversation. Both words for love that Jesus uses when he asks Peter if he loves him speak of having a warm affection, having an interest in someone, someone you have a relationship with and care about. It's someone you have a close association with. So Jesus, by asking Peter three times if he loves him, is asking if he associates with him. If they have a relationship, In a gentle way, he is saying, you did not prove that to me when you denied you were my disciple. So do you or don't you? Now as we consider the questions of Jesus, we get to the difference in Jesus' first question. It very much so, we're going to find, has to do with Peter's denial. If you look again with me at John 21, 15, it reads, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? This phrase at the end of the question is the only uh, question that has this phrase. There's three options to what the word these means when it says more than these. Do you love me more than these? What What does Jesus mean by these? There's three options. Either it could speak of the disciples, so he's asking him if he loves, if, if Peter loves Jesus, more than Peter loves the disciples. Hey, there's not much to persuade us that Jesus would be asking uh, something like this. The context really doesn't fit. Second, it could speak of the boat and net. Okay, they, they were eating breakfast on the shore. The, the boat, the net that Peter and the disciples had just um, fished with were probably sitting right over there. And the possibility is that Jesus is referring to uh, the boat, the net, just to mean Peter's occupation that he once had done of fishing. And uh, the fact that Peter had initiated him and the disciples to go fishing, there's a, um, this this possibility actually um, comes from the context. But as we consider what this word, these, means, I believe the third option is the one that fits our text the best uh, and is what Jesus is referring to that these speaks of the other disciples' love for Jesus. So when he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He is talking about, do you love me more than the other disciples love me? And at first, this seems like an odd thing for Jesus to to ask Peter to, to compare himself to other disciples. Why would he do that? But I believe Jesus is doing this as Peter had compared himself to the disciples previously. I believe that these speaks of the other disciples' loves as as Peter had compared himself to the disciples previously. You don't have to turn there, but if you just listen to, I think the, the account that puts it the best, that shows this comparison that Peter had once made, is Matthew 26, verses 30 through 35, and I'll read this for us. 
It says, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And then here we see this comparison. Verse 33, Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. So Peter was adamant, and he made a comparison between him and the other disciples. In verse 33, he said, Though they all, so the disciples, though they all fall, though they all turn away from you, I will never fall away. I will never do what they will do. So Jesus' question then here in our passage when he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? More than these is a testing question. Will Peter still confidently and arrogantly believe he is better than others? Even after he has failed, will he still be confident in his own abilities and think he's superior to the other disciples? That's what I believe Jesus is getting at in this passage. So those are the the questions of Jesus. We find that in these questions, Jesus points back to the denial of Peter to remind him of how he sinned. But as we're going to see, I believe he's trying to get Peter past this sin and his denial. Now we move to Peter's response. Jesus asks these three questions. What is Peter's response? We're going to consider and see, has he changed? Or is he still the arrogant, self-confident disciple that denied Jesus. And just as we found with Jesus' threefold question, that it was pretty similar all three times, we find that Peter's response to that question is pretty similar. And I want to make comments on the first and the third response. So if you look with me at verse 15, I want us to consider the first of Peter's responses. It says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And then here we get Peter's first response. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So Jesus had just asked the full rendition of his question. He said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Jesus is asking if Peter loved him more than the rest of the disciples did. And as we just saw, Peter had been very willing to compare himself to the rest of the disciples and make claims that he could do something that they couldn't do or that they weren't willing to do. If this was pre-crucifixion, Peter, he may have jumped at this and said, yes, Jesus, I love you way more than these disciples. My love far outshines them. But this is not what he says. Peter does not take the bait. If you look again, Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. When Peter says, yes, Lord, he's not saying, Yes, I love you more than the other disciples. And that's the case because of how he finishes his answer. He says, you know that I love you. He doesn't say, you know that I love you more than these. He just stays at his love, his relationship with Jesus. He simply declares his love for Christ. Peter shows here he has learned from his prior arrogance and mistakes. We no longer have a Peter that unwisely thinks he's better than others. And further, in all three instances of Peter affirming his love for Jesus, it shows that Peter truly does love Jesus, that he has faith in him, that he realizes and has moved past what he had done in denying 
Jesus. Now I want to consider Peter's third response. If you look with me at verse 17, Peter's third response is given in verse 17, and it says this, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. As we consider Peter's third response, we see that before Peter gives an answer to Jesus' third question, he's sad when Jesus asks him a third time. As it says again, Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? The word grieve speaks of experiencing sadness or distress, but it also, and maybe this is how you've read the passage and even some translations translate it as this, it can also speak of being hurt or offended. So there are two different ways of taking Peter's response when it speaks of him being grieved. If it speaks of being saddened, then it is speaking of Peter realizing Jesus has just asked for a third time because of his threefold denial, and he's sad, and he's, he's grieved. He's upset at himself and remembering his sin. But if it speaks of being hurt, if we translate this word grieved as hurt or offended, Peter's upset that Jesus would be willing to bring back up his sin. Why well, didn't leave the past in the past? And as you can see, depending on how you take this word, it, it changes how Peter is doing spiritually. And in trying to figure out which it is, if we look at what Peter says in answer to Jesus' question, it's slightly different from the other two responses as he stresses the fact that Jesus knows all things and certainly knows that Peter loves him. I think this could go with either of the interpretations. He could answer either way. Um, if the word grieved is taken as either way, I think this could fit both. So what I think we need to do is we need to look at the whole passage, the whole context, the whole tenor of our passage this morning and consider that Peter seems, from his response, from the way he, he interacts with Jesus, it seems that he's learned from his previous arrogance, that he no longer seems to be um, proud like he once was. We also can just look back at the denial of Peter. As I said in the very beginning, the other Gospels have Peter, uh, or say that Peter wept bitterly immediately after he denied Jesus, showing that he's upset, he's uh, upset at himself, he's grieved, he's convicted of his sin. So when it says here he was grieved in this third response, he's not upset that Jesus is bringing back up his sin, but instead he realizes what Jesus has done in asking him three times to point back to his denial. And it causes sadness for Peter at himself, remembering what he had done. Hey, Peter had heard the question the first time. He heard it a second time, maybe just thinking Jesus was just trying to make sure. But now in verse 17, it communicates that Peter realized what he was doing, that Jesus intentionally asked Peter this question three times to relate back to his denying of Jesus three times. So that's Peter's response to Jesus' questions. Now we move to the third thing we find in verses 15 through 17, and that's the responsibility given by Jesus. So just as Jesus asked three times, now he gives Peter a responsibility three times. If you look with me at John 21, 15 through 17. It says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that, that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. 
He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So the fact that Jesus gives Peter a responsibility shows that he knows Peter does love him. And I want us to consider the responsibility uh, that Jesus is giving here. What is meant by feed my lambs? What is meant by tend my sheep? And we see that Jesus is using shepherd language. We may have expected Jesus to use fisherman language, just, that he, as, just as he had done at the beginning of Peter's um, call uh, to be a disciple. He had said to Peter and some of the other disciples, I will make you fishers of men. But instead of using fisherman language, he uses shepherd language. We might wonder why. Okay, why doesn't he just stick with what Peter knows best? Why doesn't he stick with what uh, Peter's occupation was to kind of drive home the point? So I'll ask, where has Jesus used this type of language before? And I think the answer is the fact that Jesus has used this language before. He's taught his disciples. Peter sat under Jesus making an illustration of shepherds before, and that is in the Gospel of John, John chapter 10. If you just flip back a few chapters with me to John chapter 10, I think it's revealing what Jesus is talking about here. And even just as we think, think of Peter, think about his knowledge, he's been taught this from Jesus before. John chapter 10, and I want us to especially answer the question, what does Jesus mean by lambs? What does he mean by sheep? Who's he talking about when he says, feed my lambs, tend my sheep? And I just want to highlight a few verses. If you look with me at John chapter 10 and first verse 11, he speaks of his sheep being those whom he died for. John 10 verse 11 says, I am the good shepherd. Is Jesus talking? I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Talking about his death, that he's giving his life for his people. So the sheep are his people. Further, if you look at verse 14, we find sheep are those who have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. They have a knowledge of each other, an intimate relational knowledge of each other, that these sheep that Peter is being called to tend and to feed are his people, people that have a saving relationship with Jesus. And then third, in verse 16, we find that these sheep are those who obey the word of God. It says in John 10, 16, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. So we see they will obey him. They'll have a relationship with him. Jesus has saved him from their sins, and they will be seeking and striving to live a life honoring and pleasing to the Lord. So Jesus, earlier in the Gospel of John, earlier in his ministry, had spoken of sheep referring to his people, and he speaks of himself as Jesus as their shepherd. Now I want us to consider what John 21, what Jesus is calling Peter to do concerning his sheep. And we find in John 21 that Peter is called to care for, to oversee, to spiritually feed Jesus' people like a shepherd does. And even further, we could say, as we just looked at John chapter 10, 
Just as Jesus was their shepherd, he's also calling Peter in some way to be their shepherd as well. If you look back at John chapter 21, we get two words, as I said, to, to describe this responsibility. And, and the first one is used in the first instance, and then in verse 17, it's that word feed. And this word feed speaks of causing the sheep to eat. So the shepherd makes sure that they eat, uh, that they're getting nourishment. This word feed also can just generally speak of caring for the needs of the sheep. So with this, when, when Jesus says, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, it comes the idea that Peter is called to feed God's people the word of God, just as a shepherd would his sheep. The word ten then. The word ten speaks of watching over a flock, leading, guiding, providing, protecting a flock as a shepherd would, it would protect, he would lead, and the sheep would follow. So too, Peter is being called to look out for, to care for the needs of the church, just as a shepherd did his flock. It's what these two words mean. This is what Peter is being called to do. And as we think about this passage, Jesus definitely is directly addressing Peter, but I would stress that this isn't a responsibility that is only given to Peter. Some would take this, this passage this way to say Peter's the, the main one or, or the primary one that's to do this. I don't think this is the case. And that is because of what Peter says in a letter of his. And, and I know we're mo jumping around a lot, but there's a lot of connections in the scriptures to our passage this morning. So I'd encourage you to turn with me to a letter Peter wrote 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5, and Peter uses this same language and, and makes, a makes several helpful points. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, use this shepherd language, showing that Peter got it. He learned from Jesus and he's passing it on. 1 Peter chapter 5, and we'll begin reading at verse 1, and I'll make some comments throughout. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, showing that Peter doesn't see himself as the elite, but he sees him as one among many, a fellow elder. And he goes on to say, And a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. And then here's this language in verse 2, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. The word shepherd here is the same word Jesus uses for the word tend in John, tw John 21. And then Peter goes on to explain what it means to shepherd. What are they called to do in tending? It says exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So hopefully you caught it in there that this shepherd language is used all throughout this passage as Peter talks to the elders, as he addresses the elders, the pastors, and what he was called to do in John 21, he was now calling the other elders to do. He reminds them in verse 4 that they are not ultimately in charge, but there's a chief shepherd, and that is Jesus. So Jesus in John 21 was commissioning Peter as an elder, as a shepherd of his church. He was calling Peter to be one of those men 
who in person will shepherd the flock when Jesus ascends to heaven. And from the book of Acts, from First and Second Peter, we see Peter does exactly what Jesus commissioned him to do in John 21. And further, as we just saw in First Peter, he calls others, he calls other elders to do the same. So there's a lot of application that I could bring out just from this, this responsibility. I had several pages uh, of application that I was hoping to give, but for sake of time, I want to just stick to our focus this morning, and that is considering how our passage um, especially relates to Peter's denial. So I just want, to, want us to consider a few applicational questions from Peter's responsibility, and that is for all of us as the church. Have you ever thought of your pastors and elders as shepherds? Have you ever thought of your pastors and elders as shepherds, and further, do you follow them like sheep would his shepherd? Elders, pastors, ultimately shepherds of this church. I have a question for us. Do you view and conduct your leadership in this church as a shepherd? Are you caring for the church as a shepherd would his sheep? Are you spiritually feeding the church, the word of God, as a shepherd feeds his sheep? Some questions to think about as we think about this responsibility. As I said, there's a lot more we could go into. But that's our first section. As I said, it'd be quite longer than the other two, but we'll move on to the second way Jesus addresses Peter in our passage, and we find he speaks of Peter's death. So our second section is Jesus' prophecy concerning Peter's death. If you look with me at verses 18 through 19, if you flip back to John 21, verses 18 through 19, I'll read this section for us. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. So Jesus gives in at first uh, a confusing illustration. He speaks of when Peter was young, that, that he used to be able to dress himself and was free to do what he would like to do. But then he speaks of when he was old, and he says that he will stretch out his hands, and someone will dress him and lift him to where he does not want to go. John clarifies what he is talking about, why he's giving this illustration, what, it, what the specific meaning of it is at the very beginning of verse 19. If you look there again in the, the parenthetical phrase, it says, This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. So Jesus was speaking of Peter's death. The phrase there used in the illustration, stretch out your hands, is widely ac accepted to speak of being crucified. It's a phrase that spoke of being crucified on a cross. So it's made clear that Peter would die for his faith in Jesus Christ. That is what Jesus is speaking of here in verses 18 through 19. And the amazing thing here is, is to compare this again to Peter's denial. If you flip... Um, Several chapters back to John 13. John 13, verses 36 through 38. I'll read those for us. And, and comparing what we find there to our passage again, um, we find a lot there. John 13, verse 36 says this. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward." Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. 
Jesus answered, you will lay down, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. So two things that relate to our passage this morning. The first is that just as Jesus is prophesying in our passage that Jesus, that, that Peter would die for him, Jesus also had prophesied that Peter would deny him. Peter surely denied him as we already saw, so Peter will surely die for him one day. But second is the fact that Peter had claimed back in John 13 that he would lay down his life for Jesus, that he would be willing to die for Jesus' sake. And we know that Peter backed out. He wasn't even willing to associate with Jesus. But in our passage, in John 21, here Jesus is saying, Peter, here's your chance. You will get to die for me. Just as Jesus had given his life and glorified God, Peter is now told that he will give his life and bring honor and glory to God. What an amazing reversal from Peter's bold proclamation of his willingness to die, and then he backed down, to now Peter will die and bring glory and honor to God. We find in the letter of 2 Peter, in 2 Peter 1, verses 12 through 15, we find Peter speaks of his death and even speaks of the words of Jesus concerning his death, and it shows how Peter took what Jesus prophesied here. Did he accept it, or did he refuse to do it? In 2 Peter 1, 12-15, if you listen as I read, it says, Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. And then it says this, Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. So in 2 Peter, Peter shows he got it. He's acknowledging his death, but he's also accepting the fact that Jesus said he would die, that he would die for him, and he's accepted it. Now I want to move on to our last section, and again, consider its connection back to the denial of Peter. We'll consider John 21 and just the, the short phrase in it in verse 19, and we find Jesus' call to Peter. John 21, 19 says, This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And then this is the section I want to consider. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. The phrase follow me goes back to the beginning of Peter's call to be a disciple. Okay, while Peter was fishing, Jesus had said to him, Follow me. Jesus had said, follow me, to many of his disciples, not only to Peter, but to Andrew and John and James and to Philip and to Matthew. So Jesus saying it once again to Peter, here after Peter had been with him for, for several years and followed him as a disciple, it shows us that when Jesus says, follow me, to his disciples, and, and even as we think about ourselves as Christians, it is a continual call. It's a continual call. It's not, just when, it's not just what Jesus calls us to the moment of placing our faith in Jesus Christ, but he continues to call us to follow him all throughout our lives. Second, as we think about these words, follow me, we find that it's a call uh, that is a gracious call. Okay? And we're going to think more about this at the end, but Peter had messed up. 
He had sinned, and yet Jesus still calls him to follow him. And then thirdly, this call to follow me is a call to suffering. And this kind of con connects back to our, the second section concerning his death. This call to follow me is a call to suffering. The words, follow me, fly right in the face of what Peter did when he denied Jesus. He had claimed to follow him. He claimed that he would even be willing to follow him into death. Not only did he not die, but he, he disassociated himself from Jesus. He put great distance between him and Jesus and was unwilling to follow him. You have to wonder how much Peter knew at the beginning. When, Pe when Jesus called him to follow him, how much... Peter knew about what Jesus meant by follow me. Or even why did Peter follow him? Did Peter just think this was a new adventure to go on? Was Peter enthralled by Jesus being such a commanding figure to follow? I think there was more, to, more than that that Peter understood. But now we can certainly see, say that Peter understood and knew way more about what Jesus meant when he said to follow him. It had an even greater significance. He's seen Jesus be put to death. Jesus told, has told Peter that he would be put to death. Following Jesus would be costly. It would involve a life of sacrifice, the sacrifice of his own life. That is what Jesus is calling him to. And again, you don't have to turn there. I'll just read one short part of it. We see Peter got it. In the first letter of Peter, it's a letter all about suffering. In 1 Peter 2, 21 through 20, and I'll just read verse 21, but it goes on to verse 25. Peter says this, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He understood that following Jesus meant following him even into suffering. Just as Christ suffered, he's saying he set you an example. Follow in his footsteps in suffering. So Jesus called Peter to follow him, and no longer did Peter turn the other way, but he followed him. And we see a man transformed into someone who is willing to follow Jesus, follow in Jesus' steps, and even as we see from the letter of 1 Peter, he's a leader in calling others to do the same. So application, Peter learned that following Jesus involved suffering. Have we learned this? Have we learned this? And I say suffering not in the sense of aches and pains, but persecution as a Christian, being penalized for having your faith in Jesus Christ. When Jesus calls us to follow him, he calls us to a life of suffering, a life of persecution. And I'd ask you to consider, are you avoiding suffering right now? Further, are you, are you denying Christ? Maybe at your workplace, does anyone know you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. You avoid the subject when something related to faith or, or religion comes up so that you don't need to talk about it. Or maybe you've denied Christ in the past. Just like Peter did, grieve it. Repent of it. Realize that this has not discredited you. Pray that God would give you boldness going forward in the future. That is what it means to follow Jesus. I'd ask you, are you doing it? Are you following Jesus? So we've considered Jesus' words to the Apostle Peter at the end of the Gospel of John. We began by considering Peter's denial, and, and we thought about the fact that then he was 
couple months later, proclaiming Jesus. And I asked the question, what happened to this scared and wavering disciple? How did Peter go from denying Jesus to proclaiming Jesus? And the answer to this is we see the words of Jesus in our passage. To restore him, to remind him of his denial, but to call him to serve him once again. And what I'd like us to consider this morning as we close is just one big overarching point that I think really incorporates all three of the sections that we considered this morning, and it's this. I want us to consider the grace and power of God in restoring someone who fell into sin to serve him once again. Let me repeat that. We learn the grace, learn of the grace and power of God in restoring someone who fell into sin to serve him once again. I say grace, the word grace means undeserved favor. I say grace because Jesus could have said, you know what, I'm done with you, Peter. You were so bold to claim you could do something, and I warned you, but you failed in doing it. Jesus could have felt burned and betrayed. It was a very personal thing that Peter did. He could have decided that he's not going to put that much responsibility on someone who failed him so bad. Jesus could have seen Peter as weak in his faith and, and just chosen and called someone else to do what he wanted them to do. But he comes back to Peter and he gives him the responsibility of being one of the ones to lead his church. Jesus gives him a second chance. Jesus forgives and places Peter in an important position. Jesus is unwilling to hold Peter's denial against him. And this should be a lesson to us of the grace of God when it comes to our sin. Because we ultimately do what Peter did. We, out of fear, disassociate ourselves with Jesus. We sin against him. We're unfaithful to him. We do things that cause us great shame and grief, sin that, that really wrecks us, wrecks our lives. And here we get a lesson that we have a God of second chances, and even further, a God of second, third, fourth, a hundredth chances that God gives us when we sin, that he forgives us. And even further, he doesn't just leave us there. He uses us for his honor and glory. This passage of Peter's restoration should be freeing for us from our guilt and shame when we sin. And the second thing I said as we consider this, this closing point is to consider God's power when he restores someone. Peter was going back to fishing. And we don't know for sure if, if in Peter's mind he was thinking he was going back to do this for a job. But we do know that at the very least he wasn't going about proclaiming the name of Jesus. But through Jesus' words in our passage, he sets Peter on a trajectory to fulfill God's will for his life. Jesus transforms Peter. He causes him to become a bold proclaimer of the name of Christ. And I want to stress it is God who empowers Peter so that he does not fall back into denying Peter. And so too, this transformation we saw Peter has is, is not deep down within us, and we need to search and work at it so that we can proclaim the name of Christ. It's, it's not, or, neither is it magically starting to live a life of obedience to God, but it's something we must look to God and his word for, to pray that God would empower and strengthen us to live a life that is obedient to him and willing to be a witness for him.
So let John 21, verses 15 through 19, and also as we consider the example of Peter this morning, to be a comfort, reminding us that we have a God of second chances, but let it also be a challenge that he has called us to follow him. Let us close with a word of prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this message from your word. God, I thank you for this passage as we get the example of, of Peter as we consider his denial, him disassociating and, and really putting great distance between himself and you. Lord, I pray that you would convict us of, of times we do exactly this, out of fear, not speaking your name, not letting other people know we are a Christian, but also as we consider in general uh, other ways that we fall into sin, as we disobey you. Lord, I, I pray that this would be a passage for those of us here today that are really weighed down by guilt and shame, I pray, Lord, that you would just help us to know that if we have a saving relationship with you, that uh, if we come to you and repent of our sin, that you will forgive us. Lord, we just thank you uh, that you are a God who forgives us. You are a God of second chances, but you are also a God who restores us, being able to follow you, even as we see with Peter, giving him great responsibility, uh, giving him very weighty uh, call. Lord, thank you for still using us as your people, even when we sin, even when we deny you. Lord, I pray that you would just use this message in our lives when it comes to our sin, when it comes to our uh, not being a witness for you. Lord, I pray that you would empower us and also just remind us of your grace uh, that you give us. Lord, we just thank you for the example of Peter in this passage and pray that you would just comfort us and challenge us with it this morning. In your name I pray.